welcome to the 250, the podcast where we hang out the door of a Ferris wheel while it's halfway up. I'm Jonathan, and with me as always is my co-host, Douglas. How are you going, Douglas? I didn't pre-read that. Um, I'm doing well, thank you, Jonathan, on this very late night recording mm. of the 250. 250 nights. <laughs> if this is your first time tuning into the 250, we've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020. We've begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 168, is The Third Man. Holly Martin is a writer of cheap fiction novels, visiting war-torn Vienna to see his friend, Harry Lyme. Reaching Harry's residence, Holly is instead greeted by the news of his friend's mysterious death, with his only lead being an estranged girlfriend. The Third Man was directed by Carol Reed, who is known for Oliver, exclamation point, Odd Man <laughs> Out, and The Fallen Idol. And it was written by Graham Greene, who was known for The Fallen Idol as well, The Quiet American, and The End of the Affair. I think they may have worked together a couple of times. Right. I think. This is the moment where we pop this up on IMDb. I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) Neither Douglas nor I have watched this film. No. No. Douglas has watched it. About. About 15 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, this is, yeah. Uh, This is one of the very rare occasions of the 250 where I'm fucking, yeah, hot off the press. Uh, It's very present in my mind. We had a, not a bit, but we're talking about how we've never had an episode run late or like not be, not be done in time. This is, we're kind of fine. And that was like, Three episodes ago, we made that statement, so... Yeah, yeah, look. There's been a couple of that have been cut a little bit close to the edge, but hey, it's December. Shit's a little bit fucked right now, but that's fine. Mm. I fuck it. this film kind of, like, smacked me about a little bit. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I don't know why. Yeah. I just went into it, and I was just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, it's... I, did, I didn't know anything about it going into it as well. I just... I was like, the third man. I looked at the poster, and I was like, good enough for me. It's got Orson Welles in it. And Orson Welles is a fantastic director, fucking Citizen Kane. And also a fantastic actor, as it turns mm-hmm. out. Yeah, it's... I, I think I think the, the, the correct term... The fact, correct description for a film like this is groovy, Douglas. In that, yeah, in that it's groovy. good, but I don't know why. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Well, there was yeah. another film. There's another film way back when that I remember describing as really groovy. good, but I couldn't describe. I mean, I describe that. I describe Pulp Fiction with that. It's extremely enjoyable, but I find it very difficult to put my finger on why it's so enjoyable. You just enjoyable. can't pinpoint, yeah, why it's as entertaining as it is. I think. Uh, with Third Man, there's, I mean, coming off of that watch, like, literally right now, it's so fresh in my brain, there's definitely things that I can point to where I'm like, yeah, I get why it's so effortless. Like, everything about this film is just so effortless. I think it was probably about midway through the film where I was just like, shit, this is genuinely like a masterpiece. Like, Mm. this is like film at its finest, at its most simplistic in terms of plot. Like, it's not a fucking hard-to-grasp plot or anything. It's at its most engaging in being a thriller and a mystery flick, um, which, fuck it, we haven't had a mystery flick in what feels like forever. So more mystery flicks. It's it's been great to have like a like a ooh like what's happening kind of an energy. I think last like I guess mystery. I don't know. Probably 
two regular two five zero listeners might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. We had An Had Hun, which was a bit of a mystery. Yeah. More so thriller that I think than mystery. Thriller, yeah. The mystery is a bit less there, but yeah. Mm. Proper mystery. Uh, what's fresh in my mind would be um, Memories of Murder, Bong Joon Ho. Mm. I was gonna say Knives Out, but that's cheating because we selected that. Because that was a bonus. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Memories of Murder is the only one that pops to mind. I don't know. Can you think of any? Any other mysteries we've had? No. <laughs> that's gonna sound excellent uh, on audio. Yeah, yeah. Fucking huge pregnant pause. Me looking to Go the on. top right of <laughs> yeah. my vision. Mm. No, I haven't seen any. I don't recall any Douglas. Scanning the top right of your your mm. peripheral vision to see whether you can see any mystery films over there in the in the two fifty list. It was like looking looking up and right is like contemplative, but looking up and left is like. It's like cheeky. This fucking guy, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it it is extremely well sort of put together and nice to have. I think there's kind of it. I was about to say that it's kind of a simpler mystery, but I think until like once there's a revealed, you get what's going on pretty quick, as opposed to Memories of Murder, where yeah, like that the first pl- half of the film where you don't mm. know what's going on, like both both of them, you sort of don't really know what's going on to like a similar. Degree, the plot Whereas, continues to thicken in um, Memories of Murder, where mm. I think, given its runtime as well, it's only an hour and forty minutes. Like mm. it pulls back the curtain pretty quickly w- yeah. within its runtime, which makes sense. It's about the midpoint of the film, but that's not to say that there were plot twists and things. So I was just like, oh, holy shit, that's genuinely like really fun. It's up there with like Hitchcock, I think, in terms of its confidence in. Uh, portraying mystery and thriller concepts. Mm. So does a little, does a little about face. The mystery is sort of opened up, and then you flip over, and you're like, "Oh, we're in a thriller." Yeah, yeah, just cute, yeah, just fun. This film hasn't aged a fucking day, really, though. In terms of like its script and pacing, listening to these actors talk is just so viscerally entertaining <laughs> like i was so wrapped up in the dialogue everyone's dialogue is magnificent it's so pitch perfectly written everyone speaks and talks in a very naturalistic human way but there is also enough creative room left for this like very odd level of like reverence and like intellect in the way that they communicate with each other like more often than not a scene will end with like a Boom, like a real punch, like kind of a lot, not a punch line, but a, a line that has like a lot of gusto to it. Like it's really got like a, a weight to it. Pretty much the last line of every single scene. I was just like, fuck me. That's good writing. Keep it moving. Bloody hell. <laughs> it's very clean. Yeah, no. And excellent characters, I think. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no, we can't jump too far into that. I, think, I feel like I know, spoiling. yeah, no, yeah. The, We're gonna, because it's a mystery thriller, who baby. Is, who is delightful, excellent, but we can't talk about them. We can't, yeah. Them. Yeah, we, gotta, we can't talk about them, which is We've got to watch it. We've got to be careful. Put a fresh little pin in that one, Douglas. Mm-hmm. Bump. Write it on the notebook. Characters. <laughs> readdress it. Um, after. What do you think of the camera work, Jonathan? The camera work, Douglas, how interesting. What an interesting piece of camera work. And also sort of set design in terms of lighting and things like that. They all yeah, sort of play together. Yeah. Very nice. And Robert Kraska helming the, the lens. How on location was it? Uh, London London sound stages for most of it. It was sound stages, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think there might have been one or two 
on location shots. Don't cr- fucking don't quote me on that. Probably the Ferris wheel. Yes, you'd think so. Or the exterior um, of the Ferris wheel, I guess. Mm, mm. You can sort of look at some of the the exterior shots and you can see why they would be on sets. There's a lot of very tightly controlled lighting that's used to give this kind of weird feel to the whole thing that would probably be very... Scratch that, uh, there was a fuck ton that was done in Austria, in Vienna. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought but so. also I, an equal amount done in um, sound studios in uh, Surrey in England. Was that just... Do you know if that was interior shots or if that was a bit of everything? No, the, um, uh, there was, like, apartments and hotels and cafes and things like that that were done in Austria. The funeral scenes were all done at a graveyard in Vienna. No. Yeah. Some of the streets are Vienna, like on location. So the sewers maybe. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you don't want to film in real sewers. Surely. Yeah. That's yeah. that seems like not fun for everyone and probably Or could have been. I know I chest risk I actually, as well. I have a bit of trivia on the oh. um, on some of the sewer sequences, so that might Yeah, that makes me think that it was perhaps filmed on mm. location, which would be wow, a bit okay. fucking hellish, but Yeah, there plug you go. your bloody noses, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Absolutely. It's it's the stinky zone. What well, Orson mm-hmm. Wells goes into the poop world. <laughs> the poop world. <laughs> no, um we've we've kind of buried the lead there. Mm. There's lots of really fun camera work and lighting to give a sort of yeah, an otherworldly feel to yeah. the whole experience which is really cool they yeah do stuff with, to project shadows really strongly or make them look really large there's one particular the scene i think the scene in this film is pretty clear douglas which has these like insanely dense shadows on a character now i'm with you <laughs> you'd have to be so it's the scene douglas come on yes yeah it's Sorry. these Took douglas, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be partners we're supposed to <laughs> Let's have each other's backs for this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here now. All right, uh, thank fuck. you. Oh, you're back. Good. Yeah. Um, hello. Yes, and and things like some of the external shots where they they're looking, they're doing like worm's eye kind of views of the Vienna streets, and mm. I think there's a great shot where um, I think I wrote a note about it. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar, but I think there's a shot where they're in I think Anna's room, and they kind of push through some plants into an like a yes yep out, out the window into like an yep. overhead shot out of into, the yeah, courtyard yeah oh schmick beautiful Fucking, yeah yeah really gorgeous mm. you reckon there was a transition in there i'm not sure maybe there was yeah there was yeah okay. yeah there was pretty noticeable from when i watched it well we're not all perfect douglas <laughs> while we're on the note of um anna schmidt played by alida valley what a fucking actor she was gorgeous mm-hmm. Fantastic mm. addition to the cast, uh, mind you, the only female pretty much amongst the, the whole film, really. It's, the rest of it are all men. The only talking female role, yes. Yeah, there is- yeah. There's like, a, there's like a crazy German woman who's constantly wrapped up in a quilt and battering on about <laughs> this and that. I found her quite wonderful. I thought she was great. Oh, yeah, excellent. But yeah, Alita Valley, worth noting- Alita Valley's main, like, known for film is 1977's Suspiria. Ah. Wherein she plays Miss Tanner. Are you, uh, or oh, Miss Tanner, isn't, is that the teacher? She's like one the of the, um, 
Uh, yeah, the like the headmistress ladies at the Tarn's Academy in um, Do you um you're gonna watch you know, Suspiria seventy seven. I, I probably should, given that I loved the the remake as much as I mm. did. I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to the general concept to not watch the original. Apparently they are pretty distinct films, so Yes. I think that could be a bit of a fun time for you, Douglas, I think. Mm, mm. And it might be Suspiria One might actually be palatable for me to watch. But we'll see. Yeah. I know that Suspiria I'll I'll take a watch of it and I'll let you know. But- <laughs> I know what you can handle, Jonathan, so we'll, um, we'll Yeah, no, she does a great job. I think Orson Wells does a pretty wonderful job as this kind of like a like a baby face gangster kind of guy. Like yeah, yeah. he's really he's a really kind of a funny looking dude and he looks his photo on just like the Google autofill image thing. He he has a beard. He has look like a little yeah. It's him when like he's a older. Mullet or no mullet? Is that a mullet? Where it's just like the just the just around the mouth. Oh, like just around? No, 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 no. That's not mullet. Mullet? Mullet's, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, Jeez, mullet is for hair. Are you? Yeah. Are you high? Um, oh my goodness. Uh, we really are doing late night. Oh no! It is late night two five zero. The little <laughs> goatee, Douglas. Oh yeah, goatee. Perhaps sure. okay, a I goatee. don't know what the actual term for it is, but uh, sure, let's, let's go with let's, that. He has facial hair, and it doesn't look it doesn't <laughs> look very good on him. He he actually looks a lot lot better when I feel like he he embraces that clean. Fa- whatever doesn't matter. Fucking distracted. He looks great in this, and and yeah, like this like baby face gangster look is like surprisingly like convincing, I guess. Or yeah, no. you sort of he sort of like. The, 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 it's, it's, oh no, Douglas, we've spoiled it. <laughs> we, you're the only one talking, you gronk. Okay, well, uh, well, how about you bring a spoiler out, Douglas, and then we'll be even. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to get bleeping and just make sure. He is, he has a great look. His little yes. baby face look suits his character very well, Douglas. His it character, does. which will once again be discussed <laughs> after the spoilers. <laughs> oh, God. Has Joseph, is... Have we seen Joseph Cotton in anything else? Our Holly Martins? Joseph, no, I don't feel like we have, but fuck me, he was great. He was pretty good as well. He also plays like a very distinct character. Sublime. Uh, which, one which I'm much less. Sort of like, um,. What was that film about journalists from pretty early and on? Oh, uh, Ace in the Hole. Ace in the Hole. He's that kind of guy, you know, sort of like the, mm. he's got the, he's got the crack in his chin type dude and, and like forehead wrinkles and like a very like rectangular, very square face. Yeah. Perfect for like the little bit he's got and just visually plays off of Orson Welles actually quite well, which I hadn't even thought about until just now. It's a. Uh- Kirk Douglas, who plays the lead in Ace in the Hole. You, you know who why you we haven't... Comparing and contrasting to. You know why we haven't seen him, Douglas? Why is that? Because he he's in uh, uh, stuff that's better than this. He's in... Wait, no. It's Gaslight? Is this. Gaslight in the me. list? Gaslight. He's in, uh, he's in other classics, let's say that. He's in Gaslight, he's in Soylent Green, and he's in Citizen Kane. So he's in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew he was in Citizen Kane. Big fucking money. Yeah, that's impressive. No, Gaslight isn't on the list. Hmm. Wait, really? Okay. Hmm. Hmm. I'm almost tempted to, to 
put that on Snub the list it. just so we can watch mm. it because I need it. Like an mm. excuse to watch it, I feel. Yeah. Anyway, he, they all fit their own little kind of roles, the kind of just visually, I guess, the little damsel in distress and the kind of stereotypical sexy man. And then his yeah, foil in, in Orson Welles, which, uh, which is great. And he acts pretty good as well, almost like playing into the kind of stereotypical role. He's, he's very good, but then Orson Welles comes on the scene and he just fucking blows everyone out of the water. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I keep on reading. The only thing I knew about this film was that Orson Welles kicks dick. And I was mm. like, okay, sure. Like, but I, I bet he doesn't kick that much dick. No, he kicks that much dick. Like, oh. he is... Oh, he uh, kicks dick, Douglas. Uh, How much dick does he kick? I was actually breathless watching his performance. Like, wow. it's it's been a hot minute since an actor has just made me that fucking shook. And Orson does it. I don't know what it is. He just has that power. And it's not it, like it wasn't even me getting hyped up from, like, reading reviews and stuff about it. it I was just so genuinely invested if anything i wanted to hate it because everyone was like oh he's so fucking good like oh citizen kane acting directing fucking clint eastwood boy and i was like nah there's no way he couldn't possibly be but fucking sometimes people are right and you know sometimes what? a good actor is a good actor douglas <laughs> fuck me are you just looking at him now is that what that is yeah Okay, well, Sorry, I'm going to have a bit of a snap Douglas out of his Sorry. weird infatuated uh, artist. White boy uh, infatuation actor, with. Yeah, yeah, actor, creative yeah. infatuation with Orson Welles. Yeah, sorry about mm, that. And, and maybe we'll snap into the spoiler section of this very uh, Jonathan, sleepy, would you recommend The Third Man? This very sleepy 250 podcast. Of course, I will. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I made the mistake of way back when when I did watch it a couple of days ago also being quite sleepy which I think definitely <laughs> there's some films you can get away with this and I think this uh, is not it de- black and white films are a very like or a noir films are like a very cozy kind of a film mm. like for me most of the time they're like a very like ah just you snuggle up and yeah yeah they're a little bit a little just bit settle crazy. in Douglas settle yeah. in for a nice night of noir cinema yeah exactly um, I will uh we're going to hop over to the spoiler town, spoiler zone. Douglas, do you, even- Douglas, I don't care, Douglas. Do you, <laughs> Douglas, do you recommend this film? Yes, Jonathan. Okay. I would recommend The Third Man to anyone, any anyone. person. Yep. Any person. Bloody any hell. Person. Yeah, okay. Third Man. Go check it out. Well, we're going to go to the spoiler zone. Now that Douglas, Douglas, are you satisfied now? <laughs> Yeah, I'm satisfied. Okay, now that Douglas is satisfied, we'll swap over to the spoiler zone. Ba-dim, 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 ba-dim. <laughs> What's, uh, I want to bring in... Oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's up to you, baby. Yeah, I sort of do want to use the, the music from this, which we'll talk about directly oh. as well. It's yeah. also very classic. Bang I, I wonder if I want to pull in. I'm overthinking this. Um, spoiler and use whatever... Uh, uh, sound that Jonathan has chosen at the spur of the moment whilst editing. What was the last audio file you downloaded two days ago when you're editing this? Put it in. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what the last, what the last audio file is. <laughs> um, uh, talking about audio, Douglas, we'll get yeah. back to characters. I've written a note. We're not going to forget about it. Let's talk okay, about good. audio. Let's talk about sure. mu- music. Uh, the most recent audio that I've downloaded is 
Terry's Conscience from On the Waterfront, which I already used for the On the Waterfront episode. So oh, that's son of a bitch. Yeah, sorry. The music, do you know what the name of that style is? Because the opening played and I was like, oh, Spongebob. Oh, my God. <laughs> what's, that? What's, what's the genre called? It's um, Zither. Uh, oh, Zither. Yeah, it's a class of stringed instruments. Oh, yeah, I know what the um, instrument is, Douglas, but what's the style of music? Oh, like the, the genre of music that yeah, they play. What do, you call style, what do you call that style of music? I would, like, I don't know, folk? Like, it's it's very whimsical and yeah. charming, which adds this really weird kind of dissonance to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the film. Like, mm. there's the the bit where... Oh, we're in spoiler town now. Jump in, yeah. Where Holly, Holly and Anna are being chased by, like, the little kid when the porter's been murdered. And everyone's, like, chasing after Holly and Anna. And oh, yeah, fuck that kid, is- by the way. What a shitter. Yeah, yeah, a little dickhead. What a little turd. And the soundtrack's going all fucking... And, like, yeah. really, like, jaunty. And it just added this, like, really weird sense of dissonance. And I was like, there is no way that fucking Carol Reed... It just went, ah, oh, just whack at him. Like, it'll be fine. <laughs> like, that shit's intentional. It added this uh, sardonicism or something like that. Oh, my goodness, Douglas. All um, right. I know that we've been trying to increase our bloody movie vocabulary. vocabulary. But sardonicism. Hey, I'm- yeah, I'm doing. I'm putting the work out. Jonathan, would you care to read the definition for sardonicism for the dear audience? And for Disdainfully yourself? or cynically humorous or yes. scornfully mocking, Douglas. Yep. Cynically That's humorous. what I got yeah. from the inclusion of the soundtrack. Like, it's this very, what feels like tongue-in-cheek, like wink-wink, nudge-nudge from Carol mm. Reed just to be like, this is all in good fun. This spirit of the film in itself is to be entertaining, right? And... I feel like the soundtrack's inclusion in that sequence is like, it, fuck it, it's a little bit of- It's a fucking kid chasing after two grown people. That shit's goofy in and of itself without context. So, sardonicism. Sardonicism. Douglas, I googled what genre of music is the third man soundtrack. Mm-hmm. 10th entry. I don't know if you just heard my Google I didn't. Home go off. My Google Home just went off. I have- Searched it on the internet using <laughs> a, a as-to-be-unnamed search engine who will respond to me if I say their name out loud. Untrademarked search engine. <laughs> mm. And maybe on the 10th one, because there's a lot of them just links to the soundtrack and stuff like that. 10th D- entry. First actual entry entry. I guess yeah. this is what people are thinking of when they say that the third man has Spongebob music. So, some people people doing like a very... <laughs> Very distinct comparison between Spongebob music Ever- and the third man. <laughs> Apparently, hell. Spongebob uses the zither a lot, so maybe that is but the I link. I just don't get it. I don't, like... Ugh, I mean, I get it. I get why people are comparing it. But, like, it's apples to oranges, me. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it re- reminds me, Douglas, reminiscent. Yeah, absolutely. It, anyway. It I, similar to the ear, but it's... I think that's such a distinct, kind of unique effect in this film so i mentioned before listening to rye cooper rye cooper rye cooter rye cooter the musician who made the music for paris texas and that that is an example of the music perfectly embodying the schmood of a, a piece of film whereas the the zither music in the third man at least at first, I mean, yeah, 
I, I, I'm happy to say it's not a bad thing. It, it contrasts what you expect from a kind of weird, very, very odd noir film. Juxtaposes the thriller and the tension and the mystery of a lot of it the- It adds to yeah. the oddness of it, Douglas. Yeah, yeah, the sequences. Mm. Mm. And they can do a lot and of really the, fast how- strumming. I'm listening a lot of fast strumming when they're like running yeah. away. Oh. And how things are perhaps askew, Jonathan. Ah. Much in the same way that the the camera is askew. Oh, did I not already talk about this? Because if I didn't, then let's talk about it. We haven't had a chat about it. Is it because I talked my way around the camera for like 10 minutes and didn't actually say anything? (laughs) About a fucking Dutch tilt? What do you want to talk about the Dutch tilts, Douglas? I know that you're just burning, yeah. they're burning a hole in your oh, mind, baby, Douglas. you know I'm always here to talk about Dutch tilts. Fuck me. It's it's sublime. I love how uh, good old Kraska uses Dutch tilts here. I think he uses them not very sparingly. He does use them a lot. But mm. I think it's definitely in service of the film, the the atmosphere, the the place that all of the characters are in in terms of everything is a little bit fucking janky. And he tends to reserve a lot of the Dutch tilts for conversational scenes. So when it's like two people standing next to each other and talking or being seated and talking in conversation, in dialogue, only then will he like set the camera, Dutch tilt it, and get A-B shots. So mm. like get uh, character A, character B shots, like singular shots, not like over the shoulder or anything fucky like that. Like probably most cinematographers would think to do is to get an over-the-shoulder shot to like give a sense of continuity and visual aid to an audience to be like okay this character is here this character is here yeah it's just like being boom actor one actor two and i love it i'm fucking i'm always here for it dutch tilts used used well dutch used tilts well yeah really more chef's keys we had another film that had dutch tilts way back when didn't we we did can't remember what it is don't worry no, about it. Neither can let's, I. let's talk about characters. I think Anna is such a fucking interesting character, and I think ah oh, yeah, it's it's interesting because we complain a lot about old films having very shallow, yeah, kind of poorly written female characters. Yeah, and I guess like male centric, like like the, yeah, the goals films. of the lady is very male centric, and I guess this still mm. technically is that, but mm. Mm. sort of looking aside from that. You can sort of piece together what she's gone through and how presumably Harry has sort of gotten her out of a pickle. And she's got this connection to him, this very deep connection that Mm. she sort of doesn't really feel that she has to explain to Holly Munns. She's just like, this is just me, bitch. And uh, you some, you're, it's, this ain't no movie. You're just a guy who rocked up. I'm not, I'm not going to just fall head over heels for you for no good reason. Which is, you know, it's a nice flippy doo from... It's very human. It's very natural. Mm, mm. The way that she explains her relationship with Harry is also very natural in that, you know, there's this... Uh, she loved him at one point in time. And, you know, that's like she says, you know, right before she gets off the train that's supposed to get her out of the whole ordeal that Holly set up for her. She says, you know, I don't love him anymore. I don't want him anymore. But he's still there. You know, like he's still a part of me somewhere. And she keeps on saying how she wishes he was dead because he would be safe from everyone that's bloody well chasing after him. Mm. And I think the ending, the ending shot, 
Kraska was absolutely jizzing himself over that shot. Like, that really long road in the middle of the graveyard, leaves falling down, motherfucking Joseph Cotton perfectly framed over on the left side of the shot, and then Alita Valley just smashing it down through the middle, perfectly smashing it through the, the middle of the lane. And I was expecting, you know, dialogue to ensue, you know, towards the end between Joseph and Alita. And then Alita just straight up ghosts that motherfucker. And I was like, <laughs> absolutely good on you, Anna. Good for fucking you. Yeah, just everything is so deserved, meaningful, and yeah, just it, it, it makes sense. It's so natural and human. It's such a superbly written screenplay. Ugh. It's so effortless in how simple it is. Like, it's not a fucking mind-bendy, heady thriller like Tenet or Inception or anything like that. It's just fucking by the books. Dude got murdered. Childhood friend comes over and he's like, what the fuck? And then looks into it and he's like, oh, something fishy here. And then it all snowballs. It's fucking, it's great. Mm, mm. Do we have those character, because I was kind of dodging this, do we have much character stuff to talk about? Harry Limes, Lime, Harry Lime, Limes, Lime, Limes, Lime, Harry Lime. Now that we are, uh, <laughs> now that we can potentially say spoilers about his his criminal ne'er do well activities, Douglas. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. In the penicillin racket. A little penicillin racket. Racketeering, yes. which, like, again, like, makes sense in terms of like the setting of like a post-war Vienna. Penicillin and medicine would have been very well sought mm. after in a post-war Vienna. And I love the fucking setting, how, like, some of Vienna is still in rubble. Like, you know, there's still, like, structures that are demolished and some that are untouched and preserved in terms of, like, the architecture and everything, but there are some that have, like, stone and bits and bobs, like, all scattered around everywhere. And this whole debacle goes through the rubble. Like, there's people, like, you know clambering up through rubble and stuff or skating down and like sliding through it and it makes for great chases it makes for oh, excellent chases oh so good there's that bit where the two dudes are chasing um holly after he gives the mm. shitty talk at the the writers meeting <laughs> oh and he has that amazing fucking verbal battle with ah uh, one of one of harry limes dudes how he talks about he's writing a book called The Third Man and it's based on fact and the dude's like, maybe you should stick to fiction. And it's such a like, oh, the it's way so, like, the It's so like tongue-in-cheek like sass, that one in particular. Like he he seems like like a classic movie character, like a quippy thriller mm. noir character that's been thrust into, in a lot of ways, thrust into the real world and people like, I guess, I guess people the, sort of do play along with the it. The Romanian, Popescu, Popescu. It's the Pesky. dude who, um, uh, yeah, talks to, talks to Holly and uh, played by Siegfried Brühe, Brühe, Brühe. Sieg- Siegfried. Siegfried. <laughs> Sorry, who does he play? Propescu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Propescu. Sorry, not Propescu. Propescu. I loved uh, Krabben, the dude who recruits him for the, the thing, and it's uh, towards the beginning of the film, and uh, he's like, I just found out my friend was dead, oh, and then yeah. Krabben goes, goodness, that's awkward, and then Holly goes, is that what you say when someone dies? Goodness, that's awkward, and I was like, that was when I was like, this script hasn't aged a fucking day, <laughs> like, it is so just, like, pitch 
perfect. In his defense, that's probably what I would say. You so. would say, goodness, that's awkward. Yeah. Goodness, that's <laughs> awkward. Okay. I just walk out. The problem is I just like turn around and walk out the room. I'm like, this uh, uh, this situation is unsalvageable. I, is, will, yeah. I will see you tomorrow, um, sir. Exit stage left. Speaking of direction, mm. italicized direction, the fucking blocking is immaculate. The way that the characters move within the space that they're in, the the scene where they're uh, at the uh, fucking, what is it, the fucking Copacabana, the <laughs> uh, Casanova, the Casanova bar, and they meet the Romanian, they meet Popescu for the first time, and he comes over and, you know, chinwags with Anna and... Uh, you know, does the fucking cigarette and then they, you know, go off to have the gentlemanly talk. The way that that is all blocked is perfect. Like, it's just so wonderfully done and so in service of the dialogue and the camera. And then the other one was the bit where Anna and Holly first go to talk to the porter. They enter the frame very fluidly and, like, really nicely. And it's it's the scene where Anna starts playing around with the dice and stuff, like, on the on the dresser. Mm. She answers the phone and no one, no one is responding to her. Do you think that was Harry? Surely. That was calling? I feel like there's got to be, like, lots of metaphor in here with stuff like the dice. Like, there's got to mm. be a bunch of stuff that had, like, deeper meaning. That just went Lady straight over our heads because we're well past that point. Oh, we refuse to look yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you, but definitely me. I've just gone I, to a point uh, where I don't care enough. <laughs> I was so wrapped up in the entertainment of it all that I was, I, I fucking didn't really have as much of like a heady brain for finding symbolism or hidden meanings or anything like that. Because I was just so like, just fucking entertained. I was just like, this is the best. Especially. When Orson, you smug fucker, standing in the doorway with the cat and then the light pops open and just hits him the way it hits his face and that damn smirk that he does. <laughs> oh, my God. And and that sort of then plays into, like, the kind of a bit weird, like, almost, like, crazy feeling you get from a lot of the film, which they build up with things like the angles, but they've got that chase scene where... Like, I watched back to it, and I was like, no, there's no way he could have ducked behind that car and, like, escaped without being seen. It's just, like, a clear clear transition as the car wipes across the screen. It's like, that doesn't work at all. It's a streamlike, even, Douglas, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Or a nightmare, Mm. Douglas. Yeah, almost surrealist, I guess, Mm. in a way. That's the word I'm looking for. And the fucking, I'm sorry, I hate batting on about Orson so much, but I <laughs> promise this is the last thing. Oh, no, go, you, you, can, you can go as long as you like, babe. <laughs> the final little bit of dialogue that he has after they get off the Ferris wheel, and he talks about how the Borgias in Italy, you know, they came up with fucking Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance and Michelangelo, and then mm. Switzerland had all these years of peace, and what did they come up with? The cuckoo clock. So long. <laughs> oh, fucking... I, I had to smack my space bar to pause the film <laughs> and I just leaned back in my chair and I was like, okay, so that's what acting is. That's that's what it is. That's it. That's the definition right there. That one fucking moment of dialogue where he talks about that, the Borges in Switzerland, and then wrapping up with a cuckoo clock and then not fucking overstaying the punchline. Like, he lets it hang for, like, what feels like the most minuscule second. And then he does it. So long, Martin. And then he fu- fucking, he's out of there. Oh, oh my god. He's so, so this is, 
this was what seven eight years after Citizen Kane, so he clearly has had yeah plenty yeah. of time to basically you know Orson Welles clearly knows how to write a character oh, and or, and uh, fucking become one to step into the mm. shoes of a character mm. like Harry feels so lived in as a person they all do they all feel wonderfully lived in um, Anna especially also feels very 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 well elaborated on uh lots of like she's given circumstance. she's got she's got layers Douglas. yeah yeah lots of like subtext going on within a lot of the characters which was really nice i mm. like that she sleeps in his pjs did you see that yeah yeah she's got the, <laughs> the hl embroidered on the the chest of the the shirt pajamas yeah yeah i was like oh god that's like <laughs> that's a very like also viscerally human thing that like it doesn't need to be said like it's not ah so much that is done and not said in this film like body language and eyes and the way someone looks at someone it's it's there's so much done without needing to say a goddamn word but even when they do say words it's some of the best fucking screenwriting <laughs> this film blows me away man like it, <laughs> Douglas, do you have any closing thoughts so that you don't end up rambling on for another thirty minutes? I want Orson. I want. I want Orson Welles. That's it. Just, Just in general. Uh, fucking the next two years can't go fast enough so I can watch Citizen Kane. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm extremely. And I, I wonder how much else, like, is the lady, the lady from Shanghai on the list, or um, don't Touch think so. Oh, I yeah, think it's that, just Citizen Kane. That rated Kane. no one knew as good. That's, that's interesting. Which is oh. a shame. I will definitely, definitely, definitely be doing more research into uh, Orson Welles. Mm. I wouldn't even mind reading like a biography or something on the man. He seems like a relatively interesting fella. Mm. How about you, Jonathan? Any closing uh, remarks? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> No, yeah, no. I oh, I just lost a little. My notes for this one are fucking abysmal. They're so bad. I did, I did okay. like just in general. The conversation has some stuff that you sort of see in you don't see in a film as much because it's um it's just hard to follow. But it's the the realistic process of conversation. People talk over each other all the time and things like yeah. that. Um, mm. and you have a bit of that in this. Um, which, which tends nice. to happen more often in stage than it mm. does film the like overlapping dialogue and very like like uh, the pace was really quick mm. in this in terms of like the dialogue very like boom 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 like everyone's riding each other's coattails in terms of getting their line out which again usually only happens in stage like in screen normally the director will give you a little bit more like sit in the beats like relax in the pocket don't feel mm. like you need to spit your lines out too quick yeah, theater is the other way around. So, again, fucking, I I constantly wonder why this age of cinema is so golden, but it's because so many stage ideas are being reinvented and re—I wouldn't say reused, but uh, repurposed for for film um, mm. in wonderfully creative ways. Yeah. And effective ways, too. And effective does. We can learn a lot from this era of cinema. Kinema, absolutely. Mm. Douglas, do you have any trivia? No. Oh. 
All right. Yeah, well, in that case, we'll no, go straight no, wait, to the closing. No, I have, I have trivia. <laughs> no. Come back. <laughs> Me, like, slowly following into the, the valley uh, of trivia. No, come back. I have trivia. Okay. Orson Welles evaded production assistance and assistant director Guy Hamilton whilst travelling in Europe when he was supposed to be on location filming in Vienna. <laughs> During Welles' unexpected absence, Carol Reed had to film around him, getting numerous spectacular shots in the sewers seen in the finished film. Numerous body doubles for Welles were used, including Hamilton, who was made to wear an oversized hat and padded coat to approximate Welles' larger size. Reed himself doubled for Welles' hands when they reached through the sewer grate. When Welles finally arrived... He was two weeks late. Oh my goodness. What a fucking rock star. Oh, I want to, yeah, I want to hear if there's any more stories of awesome worlds like that where he's just like, yeah, so I just didn't fucking show up. I fucking, here's some more for you. Awesome. Rumours have long since been widespread that Orson Welles wrote all of Harry Lyme's dialogue and even that he took over the direction of his own scenes. Everyone involved, including Welles himself, have already insisted that the film was directed by only Carol Reed. Welles did claim that he wrote most of Lyme's dialogue, which is also a fabrication. The extent of Welles' contributions were Lyme's grumbling about his stomach problems, which were improvisations, and the famous cuckoo clock spiel at the end of the Ferris wheel scene. The fact that that was improv, fuck off, like, oh, <laughs> you devilishly talented bastard. Okay. Um, <laughs> during the shooting of the film, the final scene was the subject of a dispute between Graham Greene, who wanted the happy ending of the novella, and Carol Reed and David O. Selznick, who stubbornly refused to, the end of the, uh, to end the film on what they felt was an artificially happy note. Greene later wrote, quote, one of the very few major disputes between Carol Reed and myself concerned the ending, and he has been proved triumphantly right. End quote. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, that ending is way better than if. Way better yeah. than, like, the two, like, hooking up and fucking off. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, it makes so much more sense. And the way that he, like, yeah, the way that he, like, lights his cigarette and fucking flicks the matchstick away and everything. <laughs> like, it's, ah, it's all got such huge, like, yeah, energy to it. It's superb. Since Orson Welles refused to be filmed in Vienna's sewers, his close-ups were shot in London film studios, while a body double was used for the wides. The resulting footage is said to be about 85% Vienna, 15% London. Ah, there you go. So Orson really just got snooty about it and didn't he, want to film in the sewers. He thought the bad air would give him some sort of disease, allegedly. <sighs> oh my goodness, but it's not the, it's not the 1400s anymore, Orson. Carol Reed claimed there was nothing to worry about as the smell was the result of disinfectant, not excrement. And according to Reed, the apprehensive Wells didn't believe him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now imagine imagine <laughs> all your like co co-worker, co-staff have spent probably hours, weeks hours, fucking around in days, yeah. In these in these sewers in and you're just sewage. like, No, I don't think that I, don't I feel want like to. it. <laughs> mm, you can do that if you want, but I'm not going to. Oh, God. Carol Reed had three separate film units working most days of production, a daytime unit, a nighttime unit, and a sewer unit. Reed insisted upon directing each unit, resulting him in working 20-hour days. Oh. <laughs> Getting his money's fuck. worth, baby. Oh, was it a quick... Do you know if it was a quick filming then? Oh, like the actual process yeah. of filming? Um, like how long it was? Hmm. I can find out. 
Uh, filming dates ranged from the 22nd of October 1948 to the 8th of December 1948, and then I would assume some pickups or perhaps some soundstage shots from the 29th of December of 1948 to the 31st of March 1949. So, all up, you're looking at about five months worth of filming. Sounds a fair while. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially considering the dude was doing 20-hour days. That's a fair while. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Hmm. Do you want to know how he did the 20-hour days? Let me tell you. During Cocaine. meetings between... Oh, sorry. Not far off the mark. During meetings between Graham Greene and Carol Reed with David O. Selznick, Greene was less than impressed with Selznick, who had, according to Selznick's own son, quote, become something of a parody of himself. Greene later mocked Selznick's dependency at that stage on the drug Dexedrine, better known as Speed. Coincidentally... <laughs> Coincidentally, Reed also became hooked on Dexedrine whilst shooting the time-consuming film. Both Reed and Selznick were operating on as little as two hours of sleep oh. a day. Oh my goodness. Ah! Fucking hell. God. So it's a treat narcolepsy. He- there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dexedrine. Hmm. A huge fan of the film, Martin Scorsese wrote a major thesis on it whilst in film school. He got a B-plus for it, his tutor remarking, quote, Forget it, it's just a thriller, end quote. Oh, heartbreaking. What a, what a shit fucking teacher. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, somewhat apocryphal stories abound regarding Carol Reed discovering musician Anton Karras while scouring Vienna bars and nightclubs. Reed actually heard Karras playing at a production party and insisted the Austrian Zilla player come to Reed's hotel room and record songs to use for the contract. Later in production, Reed realised he wanted to use Karras' music for the whole film and flew Karras out to London to record the score. Karras became a top-selling musician, thanks to the film, and opened a nightclub called The Third Man in Vienna, which he ran to the end of his days. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. What a great story. Oh. For, for Anton Karras, what a lovely life he must have, must have led as a result of being picked up by, um, by Carol Reed. That's, yeah, really, really gorgeous. Director Carol Reed originally wanted James Stewart for the role of Holly Martins. Producer David O. Selznick insisted on Joseph Cotton, who was under contract to Selznick's production company at that time. Honestly, <laughs> either of them would have fucking nailed it. Like, yeah, we've yeah. seen Jimmy Stewart in um, uh, Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington, and he fucking, like, he smashed that. He so, killed it, baby. It yeah. would have brought a very different... It would have been a different energy, of course, uh, in comparison to Joseph Cotton. But, like, either or, you know, it's amazing. Douglas would have liked to see it. Let, release yeah. the... Release, release the, the Jimmy Mr. Stewart Smith Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> when the film was initially distributed in America, David O. Selznick replaced the narration at the beginning, a necessity to explain the very unusual status of Vienna in the aftermath of World War II when the film was set, originally done by Carol Reed himself, with a narration read by Joseph Cotton in character as Holly Martins. Nearly 11 minutes of film was cut out in Selznick's version, including all references in the original cut to Cotton's Holly Martins being an implied alcoholic and anything else that portrayed him as a less-than-heroic figure. Oh, I wonder, wait, so is that the theatrical cut? When is it that- was initially distributed in America, so the, the, the cut that oh, is on okay, yeah. widespread 
uh, that is like available to watch now yeah, okay. is the original intended. It's the uh, you did you production. I assume you watch the Criterion? Yes. Yeah. Print. Yeah. Yes. Which yeah. is um for those we should have opened with this. Uh, yeah. I think, Criterion Collection. They're I think it's it. I think it's old enough that it's in public domain now. I think so. Yeah. I watched it on like a pretty legitimate looking website. I hope. <laughs> John's computer starts to go. But yeah, no, I, I forgot about that. I did run note. The narration was wonderful. Yeah, really yeah, Love really, really the narration. Yeah, and it really yeah. pulled it, like, really just, like, you've got bombed the fuck out. Vienna. Vienna with cops everywhere. SpongeBob music. And what is he? Is he French? What's the dude's accent? Austrian. Austrian. Is, it, yeah. is, is that what, is Carol Reed Austrian? It's Carol Reed who's um doing the. the he's got a really fun. He's got a sort of a SpongeBob-y narration. sort of accent as well. He sounds like he could be a narrator on SpongeBob. He's English. He's from England. God um, damn it! Bullshit. <laughs> that sucks. Oh. Uh, they died at the ripe age of sixty-nine. Poor fella. Um, uh, good for him. <laughs> what a way to go. The Vienna Police Department has a special unit that is assigned solely to patrol the city's intricate sewer system, as its network of interlocking tunnels make great hiding places for criminals on the run from the law, stolen property, drugs, etc. The actors, playing police officers in the film, were actually off-duty members of that unit. Oh my goodness. (laughs) How fucking sick. That's very cool. Just imagine fucking Carol Reed, like, popping his head out of the sewers and be like, hey, you want to be in a movie? (laughs) Get down here. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Reed, whatever you say. What do you say, Mr. Reed? And finally, my favourite bit of uh, trivia for the evening. The frequent use by director Carol Reed of Dutch angles to portray uneasiness and tension in the characters earned him a gift from his crew at the end of filming. A spirit level. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking excellent. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's so good. That's the best gift you could possibly get. Oh, my goodness. That is so, so good. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, actually, no, hang on. I've got another one on Dutch Dutch tilts. Hang on. There are many oblique angles in the movie where the camera is tilted so the horizon, uh, the horizon line is not horizontal to give a feeling of awkwardness and uneasiness in film theory. These are called Dutch angles. After he saw the movie, William Wyler, a friend of Carol Reed, sent him a spirit level with a note. Carol, next time you make a picture, just put it on top of the camera, will you? <laughs> End quote. How many spirit levels did this dude get? Ah, probably like fucking 20 after the and film. every area. single one was like, I'm a genius. This is hilarious. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a funny prick. Yeah. Holy oh shit. Oh my God. Um, William Wyler was the director of Ben-Hur. So, uh, yeah. Amongst many other things, of course, but uh, primarily, you know, renowned for Ben-Hur. Hmm. I knew that knew that name sounded familiar, Douglas. Yes, good old Mr. Wylow. Mm. A man who's on top of an epic. He knows how to direct an epic, that man. That's all the trivia I had, Jonathan. Oh, wow, that's good, Douglas. Well, Douglas, um, that's just in time because I've got some trivia. Are you ready for another 15 minutes of trivia, Douglas? No. Good, because it was a joke. Um, if you enjoy <laughs> such hilarious misdirections as this, we put out episodes of the 250 podcast every week. Uh, Tuesday oh, midnight, shit. Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want to get, if they want to top up on 250E information? 
If you Got want to it. top up on a 250 information, <laughs> linky doodads, you can open up your favorite web browser and type in 250.com. Uh, www.250.com. You have a link to the on that webpage. You have a link to our Instagram, which is T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D the uh, username of our instagram page you have a link to a handy little resource if you wanted to listen to the podcast on our uh, podcast hosting website which we are very grateful to have called wooshka as well as to links to our apple podcast and spotify receptacles if you want to call them that and also the list of films that we took back in uh, January 2020 and we will be using for the remainder of the podcast also if you want to give us like a review on Apple Podcasts uh, that mm. helps us out a bunch or wherever like you get your podcasts yeah yeah where, wherever wherever like uh, you know if you're if you're allowed to leave reviews for podcasts I know Spotify you can't but yeah if you wanted to drop us a review that would be very cool yeah we would really really appreciate that Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a film tracking and reviewing website that we are great big fans of. My account on Letterboxd is Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. My account is Ianzo Knight, that is I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T. You can look up either 250, Upa, or Ianzo Knight in the Letterboxd search engine, and you will find our recep- uh, respective profiles, receptacle profiles, that's <laughs> because I said receptacle earlier, you will find written versions of all of the films that are written reviews of all the films that we oh my talk about here on the 250, as well as anything else that we've watched in our spare time. I've been a fucking busy boy recently and I haven't watched anything. I want to rewatch No Time to Die, but I also want to like... I want to do, like, a Bond marathon, dude, and just go, like, I want to go from, like, Dr. No and, like, all the way through. It sounds like a big, big job, Douglas. And watching IMDb's top 250 movies of all time doesn't sound like a big job, Jonathan. Yeah, well, you've already got that job, Douglas. You're taking a second (laughs) job. You're a a full-time... Two hundred top, top two hundred and fifty top two fifty viewer and a part time James Bond viewer and let me tell you that's too many jobs for zero dollars. That's true. Um, well, you haven't watched anything either, have you, Jonathan? I haven't watched anything either. No, uh, we've booked in a, a Dune, Dune, Dune. Oh, watch. sick! And watch that on Sunday. Fantastic! I would. Ah, I can't wait to hear your opinion. I'm very interested. I'm going to go check it out again in in theaters because um, mm. it's it's definitely a film that deserves that cinematic experience. So yeah, mm. yeah. Loved the director in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, actually, well, we, Denis yeah, we'll fucking v v v v v v v v v v v v v v v v v Dennis? Dennis. Dennis Villanueve? Villanueve. Dennis Villanueve? What else has he done? Uh, Incendies, uh, Sicario. Uh, Sicario again. Oh, he did Arrival. Arrival. Yep. Arrival big, is um, so fucking good. One of those very- Apparently, he, he'd always wanted to do Dune, but he wanted to get some other sci-fis under his belt, so that's like why he did Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 and stuff is because he wanted to, like, get his sea legs doing sci-fi before he tackled Dune. Um, Which oh, is fucking smart. You know what else he did? Bloody Prisoners. Film that I enjoyed Mundo. immensely. Correct a Mundo. What a killer. Oh, Enemy's pretty good. Episode. What's Enemy about again? 
Yeah, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal's cancelled. Whoops, forgot about that. That's all right. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for uh, tuning uh, into the Two Five O podcast. Normally, we have like a film or something that we talk about here, and that kind of helps yeah. us like get. Out. Or we have some fireworks or something. <laughs> yeah, no fireworks and, today. And erupts the the podcast into a into a shithole. Uh, yeah, fuck. I guess we don't no. have. It's fucking nothing this week. God. Well, this is the perfect ending to um, a very quiet, very, very deserved episode. Late Dulcet. night. Ooh, yeah, yeah, late yeah night. I probably. Late night. I've got a mild headache. Douglas looks <laughs> tired. I look tired. My hair looks like hell. I probably sound quite reserved, but it's because my partner is sleeping and I don't, oh. I don't wish to wake her because I she has to work. I could have been as crazy as I wanted, but I was just trying to match your energy. Hours. Oh, okay. Right. Well, that's yeah. a, um, it's a cruisy late night recording of the two five zero. Thank you, thank you for stopping by. We play us out, SpongeBob music. We're gonna. <laughs> I was hoping you put in like some sax or something, like really like smoky jazz bar. Well, the like jazzy, the jazzy SpongeBob music. Oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, Smoky Spongebob Noir. We're going to let you out of the cab now. That's the cab door opening. And Mm, here's us kicking you out on this side, slowing down to 30 k's an hour and kicking you out onto the curb and spitting on you. And then we drive away. Never, never come to this podcast again, kid. (laughs) Never come to this part of podcasting again, Never come to this part of podcasts again. And then we blow smoke in your face and leave. And leave, yeah. <laughs> back the back the taxi up so it bumps over your legs and then drive forward again. Okay, bye. Where's Marlon Brando when you need him?